Hey listeners, if y'all could do me a favor and tweet at the soccer goose and call him an amateur for forgetting to get an insult intro for this week, I'd really appreciate it. All right, here's the show. To another in- episode of Amateur Hour. Uh, this is Ben, of course. Um, I am flying solo again. Uh, Chris is taking uh, a vacation on, technically this is Memorial Day, so vacation on vacation. But uh, I am joined by Bilal Saeed. Uh, and before, as I've done in the last few episodes, I wanted to give Bilal a chance to um, describe what he does in the soccer verse, who he is, just a few sentences um and introduce himself uh rather than me tell everybody what he does so go ahead Bilal. for sure thanks for having me ben uh, my name is Bilal saeed i'm chair of afc ann arbor um we have a men's and women's amateur side um we're founded in 2014 you know chair is a fancy title for um do everything you know when you're getting when you're starting the club and i have a great support system of uh staff and owners to help me but um you know so it's a fancy title but um you know i I get my hands in a lot of the marketing sponsorship those are kind of a lot of my strong suits and um but i've been known to you know have you know be a pretty solid kit man when i need when i need to step in which is pretty much all the time so i do whatever i need to do for our club um when it's asked upon me very cool very cool yeah and i doing uh a little bit of research into, I guess, what you do with soccer and outside of soccer, more generally sports, I suppose. Um, I noticed on your website that like the main part of uh, like what you do is sports marketer and community builder. So I'd love for you to elaborate on what that means to you and like how both of those things work together, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Um you know, my career, like many people's and just I'm on a journey, right? Like I'm evolving as a person, professionally, personally, whatever, you know? And so I, back in the day, started my first company, uh, Pack Mode, uh, my senior year in college, last semester. And, um, you know, within a couple of years, I was, uh, I was pretty active in like the NCAA media rights game in Michigan. Um, So what that means is like, you know, selling sponsorship and um, other revenue related things um, for division one collegiate programs, college bowl games, um, pretty much anything, you know, like you name it. And so I started getting very involved in sport and sport marketing. And um, there was an incident, actually, I guess I called it an incident. There's a thing that happened where I was, you know, I was pretty young when I started my company and um, I had lot more hair in my head and a lot less grease in the beard and um I was shooting hoops with one of the players so I went to Eastern Michigan University and I was a big you know I've always been a uh, just a a big big basketball fan crazy hoop fan Mm -hmm. and so you know I was I was like on the clock technically like you have to be around the athletic department and you're around there doing stuff and um you know I socially knew um some of the guys on the team and I was shooting hoops with one of the players after and 
um, he was like, yo, let's go grab a bite to eat. And we were heading out and someone just said to me like, Hey, just make sure you don't pay for his, his meal. And I was like, this is my, but that's my guy, you know? So, and, and we're, we're like, literally, you know, I'm still in school, like we're, whatever, I'm just finished up school, I think. And he, you know, whatever, we're so close in age, we're peers is the point. Um, and it's nothing like I wouldn't have, you know, bought someone's lunch anyways. That was the beginning of my like journey and processing what that meant and, you know, what, how sport is really um, used in this country and, and basically only for financial gain um, really have, you know, taken away some of the best um, aspects of sport because we've commercialized them so much. Um, sorry, I was about to get into this crazy, like, you know, like that, that's like where I ended up. Um, but so that journey kind of basically that, that sparked me on a way to like, I need to find a way out of collegiate athletics Yeah, and Maybe more like the corporate side of sports. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, well, I'm all, one thing is like, as a sports marketer, you're always going to be on the business side. Right. And if you're a good one, you're going to know how to drive revenue. Um, and the more revenue you can drive in sport. So just if you think about what I'm saying, it just sounds so like profit driven and capitalistic. And um, like these are things that I was taught as an entrepreneur and as, the, you know, just my the society I grew up in. Right. It's like yeah. I became an entrepreneur because I wanted to make a lot of money. Right. Um, that was um, it was before being an entrepreneur was cool. So it was like <laughs> just before all that. And but my, my views have changed a lot. And so part of that journey was um, getting out of collegiate athletics, but still using my skill set to to be in sport. And so um, I was, you know, I basically uh, started working in soccer a little bit on the side. And then I had the opportunity to buy into AFC Ann Arbor as an owner. And um, I took that opportunity and I just dove in kind of head first. Um, there was a group of us from the community and they're all friends and we became even closer through that process. And um, I just kind of like, because of the exit I was looking for in that world, I just kind of used that opportunity to say, Hey, I can, I think I can take the lead on a lot of this stuff just because my background's there. But I wanted to make sure that whatever we did wasn't like, revenue related focus like we're a business we have to operate sure but like um you know i see soccer as a communal sport as you know that's one of the most unique things about soccer that i love is it's so community oriented and what you can do with it is like it's different from other sports in that sense so um i just said you know we started developing a couple of years into afc we started developing things like community kicks and uh, visiting classrooms for the kids. And, you know, these are things I was doing um, in the background through my work anyways. And I realized like, you know, this is exactly how you can run a sport organization. It's, it wasn't clear to me at first. It wasn't like, uh, oh, I'm getting involved to AFC to just like, I'm gonna, like, I have all the answers. But, yeah. um, you know, I've studied sport more, you know, uh, academically since then. And, you know, I've um, had a lot more experiences and just being around the game of soccer, like especially lower league, there's so much to learn. Yeah. There's so much information <laughs> out there that, you know, I, it took me some time and no matter what, what I ended up was like, I can, I really feel like 
it's a powerful tool. Even if you're a small club like AFC Ann Arbor, you can still mm. do really, really big, powerful things. And it's not about me. It's not about really anything else than what we can do to better our community. So being a sports marketer, community builder is like taking my background in sports marketing and just mashing it together with like what I love. So I finally decided if I can make a living without having to like, I don't need a ton of money. I don't, you know, I'm not profit driven. Um, I just want to do good work in the community and connect with good people. Um, and that's kind of what my focus is. I got you. And is, all right, that was a long answer. No, no, that's, I, I'm all about long answers and, uh, I am a long-winded person myself. So I, I tend to go off on random tangents and things like that. So th no worries at all. Um, I'm curious though, cause, and maybe I should have led with this question. Um, has soccer always been, uh, I guess a hobby an interest of yours, or has that been maybe a, a more recent interest of yours? Um, so yeah, I, I've basketball, tennis and soccer have been a part of my life since I was young. Um, basketball and soccer just are like massive parts of my life in different ways though. So, um, I'm a child of immigrants. Both of my parents are from Pakistan. My mom moved to England when she was like 16. So, um, I, you know, growing up in the U S I would visit every other summer to London. Um, oh, yeah. So, and East London specifically. So, um, you know, and, and to be more specific, my grandparents um, lived off of Green Street. So if you're familiar with Green Street, Hooligans, the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I could walk from my grandparents' house to Bowling Ground, um, oh, yeah. which is West Ham's, was West. It's very heartbreaking that that's not their home ground anymore. Um, but that was, you know, obviously impactful was like soccer was like, to me was like, uh, not on a pitch. It was in alleys, you know, it was like, um, yeah. you're, you know, and then I had my whole, all my mom's side was there, all my aunts and uncles and cousins. So it was like, I was bouncing around London all summers long. Like every time I visit and we were just playing football in the alleys and the gardens and, um, you know, we were doing other stuff and getting into trouble and eating a lot of sweets and, um, it was awesome. But, basketball back in the u.s like soccer wasn't necessarily cool right i just don't know how else to put it but i was better i felt like i was better at it because maybe i was um you know getting exposed to it a little differently in in london but yeah. um basketball is like what how i made friends it's kind of like um you know, I don't know. It's like, if you could do something on the basketball court, it was like an opportunity for you to like level yourself in some sense. I wasn't the like weird short Brown kid who like, you know, um, it was just, it was different. Right. And that's, that was like, you know, thinking back, I say that now because I understand that that's how powerful sport is. It's like mm -hmm. back then I was using basketball as a tool to like make friends and, and to like fit in. And, you know, like a lot of people, they, they might get like their music influence from their parents, from what they play and stuff. Like I couldn't, yeah. you know, if I was playing the same stuff my parents were listening to, I don't think I was going to make friends. So, you know, I got a lot of my music influences from um, my, my friends through basketball. So that was, that's just, um, you know, it became a huge part of me. So I still hoop, I still play soccer. I still play, I play tennis today. Um, you know, I love sports um, and sport in general. So and I think it's important to have that like um, different background, but yeah, I'm diehard West Ham. 
Um, okay. you know, just because it's like, for me, it's like the family hometown team, even though my cousins are all sellouts and support, I don't even want to say random clubs they support. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, um, soccer is a big part. I, I played, um, you know, not, not travel, but I played, I would say, you know, competitively, um, throughout high school. And then, um, I've always just continued to play and always try and, you know, mess about, I'm a little bit eventually when you get a certain age you're like hey, you know what I'm gonna give this keeper thing another go and so <laughs> I've been known to jump in net a few times nowadays I got you yeah it's far less running if nothing else it's it takes uh of course uh quick instincts and in, in, in positioning I suppose but yeah it's it's far less running which is definitely appealing that's for sure um I'd love to transition over to a project that is recently launched, I suppose. It's been a few months now, but um, I'd love to hear you elaborate on what Anti-Racist Soccer Club is um, and what it means to be an anti-racist soccer club uh, in that uh, in that vein, I suppose. For sure. Anti-Racist Soccer Club came about, um, you know, I connected with Hugh Roberts, um, when he, him and uh, Brandon Miller launched the USL Black Players Alliance, I had just reached out and said, you know, I'd like to offer my support if there's anything I can do. And um, we stayed in touch. We stayed connected. I tried to help them. They, they didn't really need any help. They, those guys have just been phenomenal. And, and to be able to do and dedicate as much time and energy as they have to what they're doing um, while playing, it's unfortunate that they've had to carry that burden, but it's also um, admirable to see. Um, I wish that they didn't have to carry it, but that's kind of what the reason I mentioned the burden aspect is that's why, you know, the, the plan began to formulate. So, um, you know, I've ex I personally experienced some race experienced racism in soccer as a player and as an owner, um, mm. both from players and other owners and, just operating the club um, in lower league soccer, I can tell you, and being exposed to even some of the professional soccer, um, it's a very white space. It's a very, very white space. And what I mean by that is like, you know, for example, like um, a lot of the business will get done after hours at the pub. So for a guy like me who doesn't drink, um, you just think of like, and, and I get it, like that's not for everybody. And I know it's part of the culture, but if you think about how many Muslims are playing um, soccer around the world, I think maybe we should consider like, okay, maybe we can do these business, this business without, you know, getting hammered. Um, Absolutely. So fighting these battles and, and starting to like, I already think differently um, when it comes to like, I like trying to, you know, mix things up and I don't like following the norm in just the standard mold of sport. Like I was trying to explain earlier. But um, I can't I can't do that and like also fight all these battles. And um, so for a long time, I wasn't sure like what I could do or how I could, you know, how I could really make an impact. And so it's really to see all the players um, that were taking action um, that really sparked me and said, you know what, like I got to we got to do something bigger. And so. I do what I do. And I just kind of sat in the background and started building and working with people, connecting dots and, um, you know, 
Hugh, Brandon, and Kaya, along with uh, the support of uh, Dr. Weems and the Sporting Justice Collective, they did the heavy lifting. They're all really like, you know, they, the one, they're the ones that have really formed uh, what the anti-racist soccer club means. And it's really turned into a platform, um, more than a platform. It's turned into a coalition where clubs can join um, and the goal and reason of why you're joining is because you want to change uh, the way your club is to be inviting to all people. And the way that that really is best, that's soccer. That's why most of us love the game. Yeah. And if you really want to do that in this country, you have to start by educating yourself about systemic racism, specifically in the black community. And, and for us, like when we talk about the game, you can start with, um, you know, how um, the game isn't accessible for people in the black community and, and in the brown communities. But we've done things to put up barriers for um, coaching, uh, you know, co coaching jobs for owners. I can tell you, it's just, it's a very, very white space. And so this whole uh, coalition really, it started as an idea and, and was fueled off the inspiration of other players' actions, but also the lack of actual actions from clubs, um, just a bunch of performative statements. And you can even tell, like, you're on Twitter a lot, you know, um, yeah. that people are starting to judge, like, clubs based off their statements, like, oh, that was a good statement, you know what the, f like, come on, like, that's, yeah. we can't hold people accountable. So ARSC is here to, to hold clubs accountable. One, you have to take the step to say, we want to be anti-racist. We don't want, we want to eradicate racism from our, from our game, but we're going to start within our club. Yeah. And that's, that's the platform we've created. And, um, you know, we just, we, we're trying to, we're trying to build it. And I think a lot of people understand now the value of, of accountability in that process. Mm. Yeah. And it, it seems like to me that it's been so lacking just to have that. For, for me, it just feels like it, it's surprising that there isn't that infrastructure in place to, to hold people accountable, to hold clubs accountable, leagues accountable to, like you said earlier, make, soccer the world's game and make it accessible and make it really for everybody because that's that's one thing that I've kind of struggled with as a soccer fan a, a newer soccer fan I'd say the last five six years or so is that I've always heard this oh soccer is the world's game and soccer is accessible to everybody and there's all in and you see that the pay-to-play structure and you see the recent um, especially recent but over the last year the the awareness around um, hate speech going on during games. And it's, it's amazing to me that it's taken this long, but it's also encouraging to me that there are, there is infrastructure being formed, anti-racist soccer club, uh, justice coalition that is holding clubs accountable and really just offering a way forward because if, if we're not going to acknowledge the problem, the elephant in the room, we're never going to truly make soccer accessible and for everybody like it should be in America. And I, I think that's, that's what makes it really encouraging to me. Just, just to offer my, offer my, my two cents there. 
Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I want to just touch on something you said about acknowledging um, the, the issue, though. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the issue that we're going to see in American professional soccer. Um, just having been in those rooms with some of the other owners, um, I don't believe everyone's going to acknowledge it and doesn't currently believe that there is systemic racism in an issue, not only in our country, but in our game. And, you know, having been in different leagues and um, in different groups and having been around enough, um, you know, that's that's why we're here. You know, that's why Anti-Racist Soccer Club was formed is because the clubs, like you said, why isn't the infrastructure and stuff in place before is because money, right, mm-hmm. is, is you can't because everybody's not going to acknowledge that. Um, you can't turn those dollars down. And because of the fragility of American lower league soccer and even professional soccer can't be selective in dollars. I mean, you might, maybe, maybe you should be, maybe that's the problem. Um, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother day. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's another thing that's so surprising to me that it's taken, I guess, up to this point, like with the situation that happened with Real Salt Lake last year, where they had to literally get rid of an owner because it, it was widely apparent based on what transpired last year on, on his radio show and previous events that he was not a good dude. He was, he had hate in his heart and he um, should not have been elevated to that position, I think. And it's um, yeah, it's such a, from your perspective, I'd love to hear from you on this. Do you, are you encouraged by what has transpired in the last year or where do you fall in the, in like the timeline of what has transpired? Because it feels like at times there, it feels like there's so much progress that's been made and there's obviously so much more that needs to be done. But would you say that you're encouraged by all that's happened behind the scenes with like anti-racist soccer club and Hugh and Brandon Miller speaking up and things like that, or where would you lie on that uh, perspective? I think what's most encouraging is um, players, uh, some owners, some executives, but mostly players, more than anything, the players have, I don't want to say found the courage, but finally just, you know, and there was a lot speaking up before, but there, you know, it's hard it's hard to, to take that stand sometimes and to take that first, you know, like that's their paycheck. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, they're going to be, they're going to basically be typecast from then on as, Mm -hmm. you know, an activist or, and, and so what's inspired me and the, 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 I think the most positive thing is to see more players continue to speak up, continue to take action, continue to be fearless. So, I don't want to shortchange it by saying like they weren't before, but there's like, there's power in numbers and there's, you know, there's that momentum, you can feel it. And there's that camaraderie and that like, you know, um, allyship that you, you can lean on each other for support. So I think that's very encouraging, but what's, what's tough is like, for me, for example, is like you bring up the issue of um, Real Salt Lake um, and the Monarchs. Um, by the way, this this is a Monarchs jersey, funny enough, uh, uh, from a former AFC Ann Arbor player, um, Joseph oh, yeah. Stanley Okumu. But um, yeah, so 
like there are those owners that are, um, like you said, not great people or might have hate in their heart. Um, but there are also just, it's a systemic issue. And so for me, it's just like, it's a white system. It's a white space. So even the good teams, quote unquote, you know, are all white owners. Um, you know, they're really not being outspoken. They're really, forget outspoken. They're really not doing anything. Right. And if they're doing anything, it's, it's in balance with their bottom line, which their bottom line is perpetuating that, that, continuous um model that we've been in the cycle we've been in um whether that be the youth pay-to-play model or the cycle of of just not um advancing enough uh, of the black uh, community into the game right whether that's for from fans players but i think there's been the opportunity it's been here long enough and so for me to see like okay, the opportunities become much, and I say opportunity because it's like before, let's say it was as in our face or, or in the, the spotlight. Yeah. It's been for a year and a half, clubs have had the, the option to do something bigger, to take an action, to say, to think about things. Um, like you said uh, to me earlier, like what? my club has end police brutality on the website. Mm-hmm. Like, these are deliberate statements. These are deli- followed up by deliberate actions. Um, you have a decision, right? You can focus on your bottom line. You can focus on everything else that has continued to perpetuate the problem. Or you can step back. Like we, a lot of us had a season off for some of us too. You can step yeah. back and say, you know, what are the, where are the biggest issues and how can we fix them? And I think that's, that's the hope I'm hanging on to um, because right now I think it's been a lot of performative nonsense and to continue to put the burden on players, like um, the leagues need to do more. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I think that's the next step that I'm hoping to see from leagues and clubs and uh, on a wider scale, because of course we all, I think 90% of the soccer clubs in America put out a, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor type statement um, about a year ago this time, acknowledging in some respect the situation, the, the uh, what was the term, the uh, racial injustice that was being shoved in everyone's faces, rightfully so, of course. But I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how those clubs and leagues, um, especially not to not to pinpoint to USL, but I'm a USL fan. You are in the USL ecosystem with, with AFC and Arbor. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they take up that mantle of being more than just, okay, we've got this statement. We've got this PR campaign to be, um, to be anti-racist or to be um, united against racism, to use the, the USL's term. I think it's, I'm hopeful because there are institutions like anti-racist soccer club and Hugh and Brandon with the USL BPA. And and of course other players as well that are, that have that infrastructure in place to hold them accountable and to say, okay, that's not good enough. We need more, we need actual money. And I think for me, it comes down to an intention thing because as you talked about with money 
and the infrastructure of how soccer is run right now, there is a clear intention of making more money. And there's in, and USL is really good at that, that certain clubs are really good at that as well of keeping their bottom line where it is and doing X, Y, and Z, but ignoring the really meaningful things that can make a club, a community club, which from my perspective, that's the only thing that gets me interested in things because um, I've never really supported a winning club. To, I mean, Arsenal fan and that's, and I've only been a recently Arsenal fan. Like I, I, I wasn't even in the good years of Arsenal oh. and, and things like that. So it's, but the only thing that's gravitated me towards really supporting a club and really being invested in whether that's a, a club in my backyard or a club um, across the country is when they're actually doing things in the community and to transition a little bit, I'd love to hear you elaborate on what, what it looks like for a league two team being AFC and Arbor and a, I forget the league. It's the, is it UWS? Yep. Yes. Okay. I, in my head, I knew it, but I didn't want to mess up. Uh, What does it look like for, for an organization like AFC and Arbor to be at the lower tier of the, I guess, pyramid, you could call it, and still be anti-racist and still be, um, still have those priorities at the forefront? Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts within each community. And so what role, like, you know, in Charlotte, for example, there's a few different clubs, right? So yeah. different clubs can play different roles, right? And, and or work together on certain initiatives. In Ann Arbor, uh, we're the only soccer club and we're one of the only really bigger non-collegiate sport organizations in the county. Um, mm. So the interesting thing is when you look at it as our community as a whole, I, it's not just Ann Arbor, but the surrounding cities like Ypsilanti, um, Ipsy and Ann Arbor are pretty segregated communities. I, I believe it's like um, top top five in the state and, and maybe top 50 in the country in segregation. And that's an in income and um, race. And so I think that um, the reason I bring that up is I think that I lived in Ipsy for 17 years and I really started to understand um, what that divide meant beyond um, a highway boundary. And so I wanted to start to, around the same time that I really started to understand that I got involved with AFC. And so it was really just a timing thing. And that's what I think clubs like AFC can do is really use the opportunity that soccer gives you as being a part of the DNA of your community. And so what do we do? Like, we don't just, I mean, when you look at it, you're an amateur soccer club. We're not, we didn't play our season this year or last year. So we technically missed 30 home events, right? Mm -hmm. 30 dates. If you think about that in the scheme of 700, like if we said two years, like 30 days out of 700, what are you doing the rest of the year, right? Shouldn't you still be operating as a soccer club? Uh, what is a soccer club then? And so for, for us, it's really, you know, we haven't slowed down because of the pandemic. We've really sped up. We just haven't played soccer. Um, and so being anti-racist and tying that all in, it, it, it was always part of who we are because we have about a 15-person ownership group. 
We have um, multiple religions, multiple races. Um, we added uh, our first female to the ownership group um, in 2020. And so, and, and there's a, uh, the last thing I'd mention is there's a, a, a socioeconomic um, uh, diversity as well. And I think all those things together make us pretty unique and um, also somewhat representative of our, our community. We need to continue to do a good job there and push. I don't think we should ever settle, but I don't think many clubs can say, does your ownership and board, the people making the decisions, do they actually represent your community? Do they know what's happening in your community? Because if they do, and they had a soccer club, they would use that opportunity for to, to for all of the good things that need to be fought for in your community. Yeah. And that is um, food insecurity, um, inequities in pay for gender and not just in sport. Um, and, and now, for, and it's always been part of who we are, but now it's at the forefront is being anti-racist and just helping end racism, not only in our game, but fighting these issues in our community. So that doesn't mean that I, I you know, we're, we're just doing logos and banners and this, it means I, I and other owners in our group have to join committees and boards and be involved and go in the neighborhoods and actually build relationships and build these bridges, listen, and then invest, take our resources and put it into place and start putting solutions out there. So that's what it is. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of challenging conversations. And so, yeah, if you're a small club, you can still have a massive impact because of who you are in your, in your community. Mm. I think that's, it's super encouraging for me to see that there's a club at the amateur level that's seeing itself as more than just an amateur club, because I think at times you see that certain clubs are, Oh, we've got the, especially at the, like the, the league two NPSL level there, they've got that, three, four month window where they're the soccer team. And then, okay, you, you, you close up shop and then we'll see you next year. Well, we, there's that whole lull there where they're not taking advantage of being a, um, like you described with your ownership group, representative of the community and also bringing the community together in that sense, because that's what's, because I look at the, the city of Charlotte sometimes and I'm like, I don't know that there's like, a, a place that people go to from different backgrounds and religions and um, payrolls and things like that, where everyone comes together and just does life or whatever the case may be. I, I don't know that there is that. I can hope for that in the future with the, with the soccer team. Maybe it's Charlotte FC, maybe it's Stumptown, um, whoever the case may be. Now I'm just rambling um, or dreaming. I don't know. Um, oh, that's the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and what I'd love to to kind of not wrap things up because I mean I could talk all night about this, and, and this is I really appreciate you taking the time to to elaborate on things like that. But is there anything that I haven't brought up, or that you'd like to spotlight, or um, that needed to get some extra attention that you feel like? No, I mean, it's just been good. I mean, like for me, I like talking about the, the, the issues in the game and we've been talking about those. And, you know, I think, 
you were talking about how, uh, you know, what are you doing, it, you know, when you're not playing soccer? And I wish you wish more clubs would, I mean, let's be real. I wish more professional clubs would, would, would do more um, as well. Right. Like, um, you know, so some of the things that we do here um, and I'm a ter- like, you know, I'm a sport marketer and I don't market our like community work as much. Cause that's not, you know, it's not like, it's also part of, we're not here to do it for the marketing. Um, yeah. But I'll mention a few programs that we have and we've done just, just cause I think maybe it'll spark some interest, some ideas, but um, we've had a long time partnership with the Spanish immersion program at this elementary school in Ipsy. They teach all their classes in Spanish. And so we took some of our Spanish speaking players there and we just mm-hmm. formed a huge bond with them. And so through them, we started a program where we, um, gave away a book and a ball and the ball was in English and Spanish about Pele. And we gave it to, out to all the kids in the school. Um, and I think like, you know, that's a sm- what we would consider like just a small little thing that we did. Um, you know, um, some players and myself, we participated in like a, a international night um, for a, a local elementary school. Um, because again, like when you're talking about soccer, wanting to represent the global um, view and, you know, bringing people together, like, are you actually living that or mm. are you just putting it on a poster? Yeah. Um, and so that's another thing. But I, I would say the thing that really kind of exposed me to everything was this project I launched called Community Kicks um, with Milk and Lindsay Tarpley, who's a former um, U.S. Women's National Team player. So this program, like, you know, basically I, I had the idea of something I wanted to do and Lindsay had a similar idea and um, we had a sponsor, um, Connect Us. And the, the three of us sat at the table and we started putting these ideas together and we launched this program where, where basically we wanted to launch these pop-up soccer clinics at um, summer feeding programs to hopefully increase the number of um, kids that were coming to get their summer meals and, and understand where and when to get their meals. Mm, yeah. um, and what we realized was that the clinic was such a big part of that. Um, and, and the kids wanted us. I remember the first time we were in Detroit um, and we got done with the clinic and, you know, got this little guy hanging off my arm and he's like, what time are you going to be here next week? And I was like, oh man, this is like a one, this yeah. is a one time. And so instantly we switched the programming to next year. Um, the focus became, how can we make sure we return? And now we go to every site at least four times. Um, we're able to build those relationships out a bit more, but so community kicks man is like, um, kind of like what really showed me, um, like put my, like I, I go out there in the community, I'll do the clinics myself, um, with some, some of the staff, um, my coworker Mason's been, he's traveled all over the state to put on these clinics with me as well. And um, you see firsthand, like, you know, what things are like in certain communities that maybe you haven't been exposed to before. And I don't think many people have really seen, seen that. And I think that's uh, important. I think, you know, a lot of the questions, a lot of, a lot of things that came about from, um, you know, uh, the social and the racial injustice conversation Mm -hmm. was uh, what can I do? Like, what should I be doing? And what I tell people all the time, I'm like, whatever your hobby is, you know, if you're non, if you're not black, whatever your hobby is, 
find the sim find the hobby in the black community it's the same thing it's just just reach out that's all like i'm just connect if you want if you go to church go to a church in the black community if you play basketball go find some um people playing basketball in the park there whatever it is like connect build a bridge do something step out of your comfort zone right like i cannot tell you how much like ann arbor reminded me of the conversation i was listening to about Asheville's, like the the most maskety mask place or whatever it's like ann arbor is yeah, yeah. known as like you know we host hash bash we're super liberal like everything's very you know people call us tree huggers or you know back in the day but the reality is is like we're a very segregated community that has a much higher income than the town next to us and we don't do much to understand that and that's systemic racism because if you look at the racial breakdown of who lives in what area it becomes very apparent and you know that's i think to bring it all full circle is like that's where a, a soccer club always fits in and I think until I see more clubs starting to take on projects that like community kicks, like um, small things, even just small, just go and go into a classroom um, in the part of town that you haven't been to, you know, like it's, it's that simple, but stop the statements, stop the performative stuff. And, and like, let's, let's do something. Mm. Yeah. Let's, do the work. And like you said, get uncomfortable and get out of your comfort zone. And yeah, I think that's a, a great place to, to end the conversation. I, again, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share some of your experiences and your knowledge and uh, in what you're doing. Um, Cause I know I've learned a lot about what AFC and Arbor is doing and what, um, and what you're doing, of course, with, with anti-racist soccer clubs. So yeah, thank you so much for, for taking the time tonight, Bilal. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I I'll, I'll just want to, last thing I'll say is that, yeah. you know, one of, we talked about taking action. So if anyone wants to take action, one of the simplest things you can do is support uh, clubs that are owned by people of color, support mm. media uh, companies that are owned by people yes. of color, like Two Cent Sports. Um, so just put your money where your mouth is, take action, and, um, you know, Ben, that's why I'm so happy that we were able to connect because that's why I see you taking action all the time. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I know I said we're going to end the conversation here, but I would love. <laughs> we're hanging out all night. Well, just 30 night. more minutes. 30 more yeah, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to, to give you an opportunity to, um, like you just did there mentioning your, your two cents FC hat. Is there anything yourself that you're doing or you've seen recently that you'd like to plug or promote or just uh turn the spotlight to you can take the moment now yeah oh, so i think we need to invest in um what i just said so two cents sports um two cents fc um i believe that the usl black players alliance is an amazing organization i think that hood space by sarah gordon um, is a great place um, to invest. Um, I know I'm going to be forgetting a ton of different organizations, but um, like even where like uh, shirtless plants plantain show, like where you're, what the shows you're listening to, um, the things you support, like how you invest your dollar, right? People will say, "What can I do?" Like I'm, I'm a massive, massive Detroit Pistons fan, but I cannot tell you the last time they get, they got a penny of mine and. Mm -hmm. Until Tom Gores is the owner, it's not going to happen. I, 
I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that, but <laughs> like, that's the reality, you know, like that, that's, that's, I think your capital is your strongest uh, power, even if you're, um, you know, just a small town club in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, mm. you know, put, invest in what you believe in. So, um, yeah, I don't want to plug anything I'm doing or I just think every find a black owned club, find a black owned company, um, give them your money. If you want to educate yourself, Blackstone Bookstore in Ypsilanti is a great place to order books from. Mm. All right. Well, now we will officially end the conversation now, I swear. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to end the recording now. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Thank you.